hands. 49ers. Oh, okay. Chiefs. Uh, Taylor Swift. Commercials. Uh, puppy Bowl. Okay. A lot of stuff happening today, guys. All right. Before we get to all the festivities this evening, uh, I want to talk about our passage of Scripture today. And, and today we're starting off a new series. We're still in the book of John, but we're in a new series. Uh, as we begin to, we're actually kind of coming towards the close of the book of John. Uh, we've actually been in this for a long time. We're coming up on a year that we've been in John, and we're coming towards a close here. And, and this series, we're looking at basically John's description of Jesus' journey to the cross. And so from now until we get to Easter, we're going to be looking at the moments that lead up to Jesus' death and his soon after resurrection. And why do we want to take the next seven weeks to look at these specific moments? Well, there's a few reasons why we want to talk about these moments uh, for the next seven weeks. First of all, all of the gospel finds its ultimate purpose in these moments. Jesus came to bring hope. He came to bring healing. He came to bring salvation to us. And this was God's plan from the very beginning. And this was how God was going to do it. He was going to send his son to die on a cross. So as we read this story, we read this and we know exactly why you and I, we get heaven. We get a future. We get salvation with God is because of these moments that we read about. Another reason why we want to take seven weeks to look at these moments is because these moments leading up to the cross and the cross show the gravity of sin. They show the weight of our sin. And, and whether intentional or not, what we tend to do is we tend to minimize the seriousness and the ugliness of our sin. We don't, we don't really think about how much of a price really had to be paid to cover the sin that you and I commit all the time. And so to us, sin almost becomes white noise. It's something we do. Yeah, it's not great. I know the Bible says it's wrong, but like I'm human, right? But we read about these moments and how terrible they are, and we realize how bad our sin is. And then another reason, the third reason why we want to take time to go through this is because these moments show the extent, show the distance that our God would go to save us, would show the distance and the gravity in which our God would, would love us. And so these moments leading up to the cross and the moments on the cross, they're brutal. They're difficult to read about. They're difficult to remember. But they show us the love in which God feels for us. And it also shows the faithfulness of a Savior, Jesus, that we believe in, the faithfulness to go through this, even though it means a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. So as we go through these next seven weeks, here's what I want us to think about, and I actually want to throw up a slide here. These are the kind of the core things that I want us to think about for the next seven weeks. So Caitlin, can you throw up that slide? I want us to think about these things. Number one, what, is, what do these moments mean for my life? Specifically for me. Maybe for all of us, but I, I'm thinking specifically for you. What do they mean for my life? life. Number two, I want us to think about the seriousness of my personal sin and the price that had to be paid for it. 
And then the third thing I want us to think about is the extent to which Jesus would go. The extent that Jesus loves you. Those are the three things I want us to focus in on as we go through these next seven weeks, all right? So with that, let's jump right into our first moment that we get to, and that's going to be in John chapter 18. If you guys want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to John chapter 18. We're going to be starting in verse 15 today. And let me give you guys a little context as you guys flip there. Jesus has just been arrested. He's been arrested in the garden. They've tied him up and they've marched him to the high priest's house. And a little background on this. In the time of Jesus, all right, this area, these people were ruled by the Romans. The Romans were in charge of everything. Okay, they oversaw all the people, including the Jewish people. And they had something that was called the Pax Romana. I've talked about this a little bit before in the past, but the Pax Romana basically meant this. Rome is going to take care of you. We're going to take care of the Jewish people as long as you don't revolt against us, as long as you keep the peace. If you don't keep the peace, then guess what? Rome's not going to take care of you. Okay? So what Rome does is they allow the Jewish people in accordance with Rome still being the superior force, still being the leaders, still being in control, they allow the Jewish people to have their own set of leaders. And these leaders oversaw specifically the Jewish people, and then the Romans oversaw the, all, everyone, the Jewish leaders and all the Jewish people. Okay, that's important because the leader of the Jewish people was someone called the high priest. And that's whose house Jesus is brought to tied up. He's at the high priest's house. He's at the leader of the Jewish people's house. And as Jesus is being taken into the high priest's house, all of the disciples have scattered. They've booked it out of there. They're gone. They've left Jesus completely alone. All except two. One, John doesn't name. We don't get the name of that disciple. But the other one is Peter. Peter doesn't leave. Peter stays close. And in these moments... We focus in on Peter first. As Jesus is inside being questioned, Peter is outside in the courtyard. Okay? John chapter 18, starting in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. And the woman asked Peter, you're not one of the man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire, and they stood around it warming themselves, and Peter stood with them warming himself. Now we make our way into the high priest's house. Inside, The high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, everyone knows what I teach. I've preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I've not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest? He demanded. Jesus replied, if I said anything wrong, You must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest, back outside of the courtyard. 
Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I'm, I'm not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. So, um, I read this story, and, and the first question I run to in this moment, and, and maybe you do too, is I look at Peter and I'm like, why? Why are, you, why are you denying this? You clearly are a disciple. They're just asking. Why are you saying no? Why did Peter deny Jesus? And here's the thing, guys, and, and I, I don't know if we've ever thought about it this way, but I don't know if he was super being intentional about it. I don't know if Peter really knew what he was doing. All right, maybe think about it this way. I, I've seen uh, this guy on, on social media. Maybe you've seen this guy before. He goes up to like people in grocery stores or out in public, and, and he tells them a joke that makes no sense. Have you guys seen this guy before? All right, he, he goes up to them, and let me give you an example. He, he goes up to a, some random guy at the store, with, and a guy's got a camera on him, and he's like, hey, what do you call a dog that meows? And the guy's like, I don't know. And he's like, a peanut butter sandwich. Right? And it makes no sense, right? But what happens every time he does this? They always laugh. They always think it's funny. And then he asks them, it's funny, right? Do you get it? And you know what they say? Yeah, I get it. I get it. And then there's this awkward pause, and he goes, well, okay, explain it to me. And then that person freezes. Uh, Right? And they can't explain it because the joke doesn't make sense, right? They freeze, they get uncomfortable, or, or maybe they try and fumble through trying to explain a joke that is not supposed to make any sense. Why do the people do that? Why do they laugh at a joke that doesn't make sense? Why do they say, yeah, I get it? They do that, I think, because they're uncomfortable, because someone's got a camera on them, and they just want to get out of the situation. They don't want this guy to come and ask them questions, so they think, they, let me just say what needs to be said, let me laugh at this guy's joke, so he just goes away. And that's what I think is happening here with Peter. He's being asked, hey, do you know Jesus? And Peter's uncomfortable. He's afraid. He doesn't want all of this attention on him. He doesn't want to be in this position where he's going to get in trouble. And so he just says, no, 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 I don't. Hoping to just get out of the conversation, to move on, that no one asks him. It's this thing I want to call subtle denying. It's subtle. It's not loud and proud. It's quiet. Even when it's not loud, even though it's not proud, even though I don't know if Peter was being super intentional there. And that's how often, how I think it comes with us. I want to throw this slide up here. We live lives of subtle denial. It's not necessarily the thing where someone comes up to you and says, hey, do you believe in Jesus? And you stand in front of the whole school and say, no. Right? But it's not like exactly we tell people all the time that we believe in Jesus. We kind of just keep it to ourselves. We don't really think about the fact that, ah, I don't really talk about Jesus that much. And we, we may not, you know, go out in front of the crowds of people and renounce our faith and proclaim, you know what, God is not good. But we don't exactly live our lives differently when we're among our peers. We live the same. It's subtle denying. 
It's not blatant, outright, loud, proud, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't follow Jesus, Jesus is not good. It's, it's quiet. And sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. But here's the issue, and we see it with Peter, subtly denying, trying to get out of the situation without intentionally, without Peter intentionally knowing, oh, I'm doing this right now. I'm denying Jesus. And Peter not intentionally stopping and saying, I got to think about this. I, I've got to call this out. No, Peter's not intentional here. He kind of doesn't think about what he's doing. And it leads to not just every once in a while. Now, all of a sudden, he keeps denying and denying and denying. And what happens is when we subtly don't talk about Jesus, when we suddenly don't live, like, don't live for Jesus and we do that over and over and over again, now it's a lifestyle. And we do it all the time. It keeps happening with Peter. He probably only meant for this to happen once, but they keep asking over and over and over again, do you follow Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And he says, no, 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 no. Three times to be exact. And then it hits him because the rooster crows. And he hears it and he immediately remembers. Peter doesn't realize this moment until he does. When Jesus was there in the upper room with him and he told Peter specifically, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. But Peter, he refused to be intentional. He refused to just stop and think about what he was doing and saying, and that causes him to mess up in a really big way. And let me tell you guys, that's how it goes with us. Our words and our actions, they have consequences, especially when you're not being intentional. When you're just going through the motions, when you don't think about what you're doing, when you don't think about what you're saying, you get in situations like Peter where now you're in a big mess because you haven't stopped to think. And here's the thing, guys. John, he doesn't give us the most detail here. He kind of just explains there's three questions that, gets, that, that people ask Peter, and, and Peter says no to all three questions. But I want to tell you about uh, this moment because in Matthew, Matthew gives us a little more detail. And Matthew says that when the rooster crows, Peter walks away and he weeps bitterly. He weeps bitterly. Peter is distraught. Peter is devastated. This absolutely broke him. Why? Because Jesus said he would deny and Peter said, no way. I would never do that. And then Peter realized the person he loved most in the world was right about him. And he knew he would make this mistake. But even more than that, I think there's a little more to this. Peter was supposed to be the guy. Peter was Jesus's like, like he's one of his top disciples. He's, he was one of the three. He was the one that Jesus said would be the one to help start his church. He was the one that first proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus proclaimed that, Peter, you've got this right. You know what you're talking about. Peter was the man. Peter was supposed to be the strong one. Peter was supposed to be the good one. And he, of all people, he blew it. He really messed up. And guys, I, I want to stop for a moment, and I want to get real for a second. Because I know there are some in here and you've had a screw-up like Peter. 
And maybe it's some of us in the room who, you're, you're a leader here in the church. You have a passion for the Lord. You've been a good follower of Jesus. But you've messed up big time. You've messed up. And it kind of happens in those moments where maybe you just weren't thinking. You know, it, maybe you're in here today and, and, and you got caught in this big lie. Or, or you're in here today and you're a leader in the church, but you've gotten into this addiction of pornography. Or, or, or you're in here today and, and you weren't thinking and you let it go too far and you've had sex. And you, and you messed up. Or, or you're in here today and, and you, without thinking, stabbed your friend in the back and now that relationship's broken, whatever that might be. And, and, and you know what? Like Peter, you get it. When, it when, the, when the Bible says Peter wept bitterly, you get that. You felt that. And, and, and here's the thing, because we have this mindset that I can't be the one to mess up, when you do, it's almost like there's more shame that's heaped on you. You heap more shame on yourself because I, I'm not supposed to be that person. And yet I messed up. And, and, and let me just stop right here. I, I'm going to spoil the sermon that's coming in two months, okay? But there's this moment at the end of John where, where Jesus comes after he's resurrected and he, and he comes to Peter and he, and he redeems him. And, and, and he redeems this moment where Peter messes up big and, and he, he forgives him. And, and I just want to tell you guys, there's nothing that you've done that can mess up what God has planned for your life. If you're in here today and you felt the shame and you felt that emotion of you've really messed up and you're not supposed to be that one, I'm here to tell you, same goes for you. There's nothing you've done that can mess up God's plan for your life. And there's nothing that you have done that he has not wiped absolutely clean. It's clean. It's gone. It's forgiven. If you would say, God, I'm sorry, I repent, take this away, he will do it every time. Now, I, I, I want to just sit in that and I want to encourage you with that too because I, I know that there's some feelings of sh- deep shame in here and I'm here to tell you guys, Jesus forgives and he saves and he wipes clean and he makes new. He just does. But some of us in the room, maybe, maybe you aren't in a place where maybe you can relate to that. I know there are. But I, I want you to consider something else about Peter. And, and, and I want you to notice something about Peter because I think Peter gets a really bad rap in this passage. Everyone thinks about this. It's like, oh, Peter was the guy to deny Jesus. And I, I just think he gets a really bad rap because he does, Peter does something that all the other disciples didn't do. He stayed close to Jesus. Everyone else ran. Everyone else left Jesus alone. Peter didn't. He went with Jesus. He stayed close to Jesus. And I just want to encourage you guys with that. That some of us, we, we feel this shame, but like you've still stayed close to Jesus. Peter gets a bad rap here, but here's the thing that we see with Peter and where I think the issue comes. Peter was in proximity to Jesus, but he still wanted to remain anonymous. He was close to Jesus, but he still wanted to remain anonymous. And some people here, maybe you're in the room, you're here, and, and, and you guys are close to Jesus. You, you have a personal relationship with Jesus. You come to church here on Sundays, but you go out into your schools and you want to remain anonymous. 
You just want to fit right into the crowd that you're in, and you don't want anyone to ask you the tough question of, hey, do you follow Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Tell me about Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus. What do you think about that? We don't want those questions, and so we remain anonymous. Or maybe we're here in the room, and and, and we're close to Jesus. We come here on Sundays, but we're close, but not exactly close enough because we haven't gone all in. And, and maybe it's because we come here to church and we want to be with our friends. We think the worship's really good. This is a fun place to be. My parents made me come to church and we're close, but we're not all in. It's proximity with anonymity. And I just don't believe that's what Jesus wants for us. This is what gets Peter in trouble is he wants to remain anonymous instead of being bold for Jesus. Because meanwhile, Jesus is in this other room, and you know what Jesus is doing? He's being bold. He's being faithful. He's following through on his promise to save and to rescue and to redeem and to clean. And, and here's the thing. Why Peter does this, it could be for whatever reason, but here's the, here's the biggest reason why I think Peter does not go all in here. Peter wants to remain anonymous. I think the biggest reason is because of fear. He's, he's wrestling here in this moment with fear and with trust. Can I trust here in this moment that Jesus can take absolute care of me? Or, or will my fear of dying, will my fear of persecution, will that take over? It's trust. Jesus, will, will I trust you to take care of me in this moment that I can be bold for you and I'll be protected? Or is fear going to give in here? And that's what all of us, ultimately, what this all boils down to is, this is, this is this is what we wrestle with every day. This is the thing where subtle denying comes into place. This is the thing where deep shame comes into place. This is the thing where we want to re- remain anonymous. When it comes to subtle denial, feelings of deep shame, our unwillingness to go all in and commit to Jesus, what we're deciding is, ultimately, Will I trust Jesus? Will I trust Jesus? And these are the questions we ask. If, if we're in this room and, and, and we are not intentional with how we act and how we live and what we say and we live lives of subtle denial, the question we're really asking is, do I trust that Jesus is worth it? And I'm here to tell you, you can trust that Jesus is worth it to be bold. Because he offers hope and salvation. What Jesus is doing in the room right next door to Peter is he's being faithful. And, and, and again, John doesn't give all this detail, but it's in this room where Jesus is getting slapped. He's getting blindfolded and everyone's hitting him and saying, prophesy to who hit you. The beatings have started. Is Jesus worth it? Can I trust that he's worth it? I, I believe you can because he was faithful. If you're in here today and you, and you feel the deep shame, you get the weeping bitterly because you've really messed up. The question that you're really asking now is, can I trust that Jesus can cover this, can make this clean? And Jesus, again, he has this moment at the end of John with Peter and he redeems Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes. And he says it three times. And Jesus is like, great, then go. And maybe you're in here today and you're scared to go all in. You want to remain anonymous. And the real question we're asking when it comes to trust is, do I trust Jesus is who he says he is? Do I really believe this? And in a little bit, 
you're going to find that something really changes for Peter. There's a moment, Peter goes from this moment where he's denying over and over and over again to this moment where Peter is preaching to thousands and thousands of people and, and people are threatening his life and he doesn't care. He's going for it. What changes with Peter? I'll tell you what changed with Peter. He saw Jesus dead and he saw him alive again. That's what changed. Here's the thing, guys. This morning, you may have walked in with a big mistake and deep shame. Or you may have walked in and you've tried for a while to live anonymously. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live with this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. And my encouragement for you is this. If you cling to the faithfulness of Jesus, if you cling to that, you're going to find that he is faithful every time to make it clean, to make it new, to accomplish all that he has for your life. You can trust him. Let's take 20 seconds and reflect on what you just heard.